Seltzer Kings Podcasts. It's nothing at all like John Lennon leaving the Beatles. It's more like the, the, the guy that was the drummer before Ringo being replaced with Ringo. Yes. The following podcast contains... I was told foul language is encouraged. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When the guy you hired to replace your loudmouth lead singer is totally beloved by your fans so you shit-can him for that dude from Extreme, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 374, When are You Coming Back, Red Rocker, edition of the show, where we talk about how Sammy replaced Dave with Sammy and Ed replaced Sammy with Dave before replacing both of them with some guy named Gary. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Celebrity Branded Alcoholic Beverage. If you're thirsty for a type of alcoholic beverage, then you should try Celebrity Branded Alcoholic Beverage. Is this alcoholic beverage of any type with any random celebrity's name on the bottle different than any other brand of alcoholic beverage? Maybe. Maybe not. But it does have a celebrity's name on the bottle that we paid that celebrity a lot of money to put there, and that's why you should drink Celebrity Branded Alcoholic Beverage. If you don't believe us, believe insert random name of celebrity here because they like to drink insert name of type of liquor here when we pay them money to put their name on the bottle. Celebrity branded alcoholic beverage. It's liquor, but with the famous person's name on the bottle. New Van Halen at its first outdoor date of its sold-out summer tour. This was in Boulder, Colorado. Yes, good morning. Right, Frank. Good morning, Brian. The new Van Halen is made up of brothers Eddie and Alex Van Halen, veteran Michael Anthony, and former solo star Sammy Hagar. Van Halen's album 5150 already sold two and a half million copies thanks to its three top ten hits. And it's convinced audiences that Sammy Hagar is more than a match for the departed David Lee Roth. What do you want with us? You want us to be ourselves? The general public who has been buying 5150 like hotcakes didn't even blink at the change in the personnel in this band. In fact, the album soared. Did that surprise you? Oh, yeah, you? they didn't blink. They went, whoa. All right. It sounded like this before. <laughs> Did it surprise you at all? I just figured, you know, we make a good record and it sounds good. It doesn't matter who's playing. You know, actually, we didn't even play on the record. You know? We had the monkeys play. <laughs> they did the whole <laughs> One of the fun parts about growing up with a parent in the military is how you get to make new friends every two or three years because either you or your friends all move away. Doesn't sound fun at all. Oh, no, it was great, you know. Just as you're really getting into the groove of hanging out and getting to know one another, your entire life is uprooted by a faceless government entity and you're dragged thousands of miles away from each other in an age when it costs money to call long distance on the phone, so you're pretty sure you're never, ever going to speak to each other again. Dude, that's terrible! No, no, it was fine. I mean, we could write letters and such, which uh, none of us ever did, but we could have. And that, that, that's important, or so, so that's what our parents told us. But there was an upside. If you were the lever, not the one left behind, you could take the chance to completely redesign your entire personality to fit in wherever you found yourself. Is that a good thing? Cause well, that depends on whether you liked yourself or not. And since you didn't really have any long-term friends and you can forget about dating, you probably didn't. So the least you could do was try a whole new you in the hope that the people wherever you were going would like that person. 
Now, one of the things I learned right away is to quickly assess the new crowd and figure out what they were into so I could be into that thing too. Oh my God, that's awful. It was vitally important as a teenager trying to integrate into a new scene that you seem as blandly generic and utterly inoffensive as possible so as to minimize the amount of time you spend as a sad, lonely dweeb on the outskirts of your high school social order. Every military kid learned real fucking quick to camouflage ourselves to show no hints of individualism or quirkiness and just fit in. They're like the breakfast club or something like that. Trust me when I say the breakfast club got it all wrong. You wanted to be a princess or an athlete, not a criminal, a brain or a basket case. You needed to blend in to get through life. And that meant not being in any way different than anyone else. And that's also pretty good advice when you're hired to replace a beloved charismatic lead singer in a super popular rock band in the mid-1980s. Which brings us to 1986 when Sammy Hagar had to blend in to be in Van Halen. We talked last week about how Ed and David mutually had come to a parting of ways over creative differences. They had a fight. They hated each other and mutually chose to pursue separate career paths. I didn't force him out of the band, he quit. And how after noodling various options like Patti Smythe from Scandal or Daryl Hall from Hall & Oates, the band decided to hire Sammy Hagar. Now, Sammy had what could be described as an interesting life before he came to rock and roll. Born in 1947 to itinerant farm laborers on a farm in Central California. Sammy's dad, Bobby, was well, let me just quote from the Inland Daily Bulletin in a 2011 article. Quote, We were bone-fucking-poor, he writes. He being Sammy. My father was a town drunk, Hagar writes. He was a complete alcoholic and a madman. His abuse led his wife to drive their four kids into orange groves some nights to sleep in the car. On drunks, he would spend the rent money, forcing the family to move frequently. Hagar writes that the family lived in nine different homes in Fontana during his childhood. They never had a telephone and usually had a chicken coop in the backyard. And finally, at the age of 10, his mother Gladys took the children away for good, unquote. Now, if you have ever lived in a small town as a kid, you can imagine how badly Sammy Hagar fucking wanted out of small town life. Maybe you're projecting hostile feelings. I might be, but uh, trust me, I think that's also true about Sammy. He had taught himself how to play guitar on a $40 guitar he bought from the Sears and Robux catalog and fronted his first band, the Fabulous Castiles, at 14 years old. Man, 14 years old. You know, if I'd actually taken a lesson or something, I might have actually been good at the guitar. That is generally how this works. And as soon as Sammy graduated high school, he left his small town for the metropolis of Riverside, California. Riverside, named for its location beside the Santa Ana River. It's the most populous city in the Inland Empire and in Riverside County, and is located about 50 miles southeast of downtown Los Angeles. It is also part of the greater Los Angeles area. Riverside is the 61st most populous city in the United States and the 12th most populous city in California. Attractions in Riverside include the Fox Performing Arts Center, the Museum of Riverside, which houses exhibits and artifacts of local history, a California Museum of Photography, and the California Citrus State Historic Park, Castle Park, and the parent Washington Naval Orange Trees, the last of two original Naval Orange Trees in California. Was that really necessary? No, no, not in the least. I did that for me. 
Sadly, Sammy did not find instant success in the jewel of the Inland Empire and soon found himself married, arrested for drug possession, and unemployed. Rock and roll! He drove dump trucks in New York State for a while before returning to his dead-end hometown with his wife and baby on the way, living on welfare while trying to make it in rock and roll. And that is when they visited him. Who is they? The aliens, of course. Who did you think I was talking about? The Jehovah's Witnesses? And look, they got Prince, and they are way over quota for rock stars when they got Prince. No, Sammy was visited by aliens. Again, quoting from the Inland Bulletin. Quote, I was lying in bed one night at the Anastasia Street Place in Fontana asleep, dreaming. I saw a ship with two creatures inside of it. I couldn't see their faces. I just knew that there were two intelligent creatures sitting up in a craft in the Lytle Creek Forest area about 12 miles away in the foothills above Fontana. And they were connected to me, tapped into my mind through some kind of mysterious wireless connection. I was kind of waking up. They said in their communication to each other, no words were spoken. Oh, he's waking up. We've got to go. And they fired off a numerical code, but it was not of our numerical system. And all of a sudden, pow, the connection instantly broke. Anyway, Hagar ends up consulting a psychic in Yukaipa who says that he needs to go to San Francisco again, and that's where he'll see his name in lights. Unquote. He did not see that coming. A year or so later, Sammy was back in San Francisco and singing as the lead singer for the band Montrose. Montrose is one of those bands that came out of the mid-70s that was super influential on a lot of later musicians but never really broke through to the mainstream. And you've heard Montrose songs all your life, but you probably never actually knew that the band was Montrose that you were listening to. for two albums and tours and he left after getting into a fight with on tour with Ronnie Montrose who had formed the band. Notice any similarities? So he launched his solo career in 1976. Sammy Hagar or the Red Rocker as he liked to be known because he liked the color red and was a rocker. Logical. And he had a fairly successful song titled Red which was <laughs> this is one of those times when I get to Dave Barry you and say I swear I'm not making this up covered by none other than Bette Midler. I don't believe this. I don't, I don't believe you. I didn't believe it either until I looked it up, and by God, this is Bette Midler singing Sammy Hagar's Red. I mean, that song, it's, it's pure Sammy Hagar. Hagar's solo time was one of those rock careers that could be best described as successful, but not spectacular. He scored some top 40 singles and his albums charted well on the album charts and he had some genuine balls to the wall bangers that gave him solid heavy metal cred, including this song, which was on the actual movie, Heavy Metal. A 
movie that will someday surely be its own episode. Hagar was also part of an 80s supergroup, which is another topic which will be its own episode someday, called HSAS. For Hagar, Neil Sean of Journey, former Foghat bassist Kenny Aronson, and former Santana drummer Michael Shreve. Which, okay, those four names, you might be stretching the definition of a supergroup, but not every band could be the Traveling Wilburys. It was in 1984 that Sammy's best known, if not highest charting hit, put him on the map for the MTV generation, with a truly phenomenal anthem that has, though it's lost the meaning of why it was recorded, still resonates in the heart of everyone who has ever been in traffic court. If you want to understand the new ones of this anthemic rock song, please see episode number 358, I Simply Cannot Drive 55. Oh, you just plug. Look, there's no reason to have a big-ass back catalog if you don't let people know about it. It was on the heels of I Can't Drive 55 that Sammy was considered to replace David Lee Roth. Or that is what us young rockers thought at the time which was why it was so dichotomous to our tiny minds. Sammy's song was a solid banger and we loved it, but it didn't sound anything like Van Halen. This is because in the mid-1980s, we only knew what songs were on MTV and didn't understand that people who had music careers that began before August 1st, 1981, and this fundamental broadcast. Seven, six, five, four. We've gone for main engine start. We have main engine start. that people had done stuff before MTV, just like we didn't know about Montrose and Sammy's long and respectful career in music. We knew his latest video. But you know who did know about Montrose? Ed and Alex Van Halen, and they fucking loved Montrose. Furthermore, Ed and Sammy had met a couple of times on tour, and the two of them had gotten on well, according to both of them, but it would take the intervention of a very special kind of figure in rock and roll to truly bring these two together so that they could make rock history their mutual Ferrari mechanic. That's capitalism, babe. From LouderSoud.com, quote, Sammy Hagar heard about Ross' departure before it was made public. He'd been tipped the wink by longtime Van Halen producer Ted Templeman, who had also worked on... Hagar's last album, VOA. But it would be an unlikely figure who played Cupid and helped save Van Halen's career, the guy who fixed Hagar's car. My mechanic, Claudio Zampoli, was also Eddie's mechanic, Hagar says. One day when Eddie was picking up his car, he was telling Claudio that Dave quit. Nobody knew, it wasn't public knowledge. And that's when Eddie saw my black Ferrari 512, the car I used in the video for I Can't Drive 55. He said, wow, nice car, whose is it? Claudio said, it's Sammy Hagar's car. You should call him and get him in the band, unquote. Although, as irony would have it, this was not the first time that Sammy was in the running to be the lead singer of Van Halen. Here's the Muppet News Flag. 
According to Van Halen News Desk, who would not let me copy and paste their content because Van Halen News Desk is such a vital source for Van Halen news that I am sure is generating tens of dollars a year these days. Dread... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm being petty with that. Record producer Ted Templeman had briefly considered Sammy to replace Dave before Van Halen recorded their first album because Dave's vocals sucked. Dave took singing lessons and went on to make the band fucking so famous that a rando Van Halen gossip blog could repeat the work of a writer in the book 20 years later and not let me copy and paste from the website. We told you last week that Sammy was hired by the band and that gave and that Sammy gave Van Halen a new lease on life, so we don't need to repeat that part of the story. So I'm guessing that right now you're wondering... So, what happened? Well, the unvarnished story is pretty simple, depending on whether you believe Sammy. He was fired. Or if you believe Ed. He quit. The truth of the matter is probably somewhere in between, but given Ed's pin shot for being a control freak and as drinking, I'm going to lead towards Sammy's version. After a decade and five best-selling albums, things began to fray. Things have been rocky for the band for their, on their last tour, supporting their 1995 album, Balance, which went to number one on the album charts, but I have zero memory of it even existing. The tour was plagued with injuries in the band. Their longtime manager had recently died, and their new manager was one of Ed's boys. That new manager, Ray Daniels, wanted to do what pretty much every band was doing in the mid-1990s while record sales were just fucking insane. The quick-hit cash grab of a Greatest Hits album. Time to get paid. And for the records, I love a Greatest Hits album, all of the pony and none of the shit. But Sammy felt like Greatest Hits albums were for bands on their way out and that the band should take some time off and come back with a new album in a year. What Sammy didn't know was Ed wanted the money too because he was a money guy and was big behind the Greatest Hits idea. So Ed and Alex wanted to get back in the studio. The plan was to record two new songs for the Greatest Hits album and then start working on a new album. But Sammy had just had a new kid and kind of wanted to take some time off to spin with his baby. Sammy told the spokesman back in 1997, quote, Hagar says he was fired by Eddie Van Halen last year on Father's Day. It came after Hagar sought a two-month-off following his year-long tour so he could spend some time with his wife and three-month-old baby. He suggested that Eddie take the time to have hip surgery, which since he's had done, and Alex Van Halen tend to the ruptured vertebrae that forced him to wear a neck brace on tour. Instead, Eddie and Al went right into the studio. They said they had to make money, but I said, whoa, whoa, are you crazy? We're not hurting for money. I wanted to spend two months with my new baby, then make another record. But Eddie said, I'm frustrated because you never do what I ask you to do. And the real culprit, Hagar believes, was the new manager, Ray Daniels, Alex's brother-in-law, who was trying to squeeze every nickel out of the band. Thus began a cheapening of Van Halen, he says. When the group released a Greatest Hits album along with Roth on two new tracks, plus did Nissan and Milk commercials, all of which Hagar opposed, unquote. You might notice that Sammy opposed the Nissan and Milk commercials, but he had no problem at all with Pepsi playing right now for that Crystal Pepsi thing that happened back then. See episode number 331 for more about that story. We're just going to keep plugging away. Ed's version? Slightly different, as you might assume. According to ClassicRot.com, quote, 
Eddie's displeasure also reportedly stemmed from Hagar's decision to record new music for a contract-fulfilling solo best-of set, which turned into a bigger sticking point when Hagar objected to the notion of a Van Halen hits collection with his own new songs, and recording material for the movie Twister soundtrack. It all came to a head on Father's Day of 1986, and I said, Sam, if you want to make another record or do another tour, you got to be a team player. Van Halen is a band, not the Sammy Hagar show, not the Eddie Van Halen show, the Alex Van Halen or Michael Anthony show, Eddie told Guitar World later that year. He finally said, yeah, God damn it, I'm fucking frustrated. I want to go back to being a solo artist. And I said, thank you for being honest. And we ended up hanging up like everything was cool because it was all out in the open. He'd admitted what he wanted to do, which was go solo and stuff. And I said, well... You can't be in the band and do that, too, so see ya. I didn't fire him. He just quit, unquote. Sammy has always vehemently denied quitting. He said, quote, I got thrown out of that band. There is no question about it. I got thrown out of the band. I did not quit. I was thinking about quitting because we weren't getting along, but I wasn't going to quit Van Halen, for God's sakes, unquote. But what really chapped Sam's ass was how Van Halen brought back Diamond Dave. Sammy tells it that right after Ed fired him, Ed drove over to Dave's house and then brought him back, you know, just out of a... Uh, Asked me why, and I said for spite. And Ed says that he called Roth a few weeks later about the, uh, about the upcoming Greatest Hits album, and the two got to talking to him. Before you know it, he and Dave was just having a great time, and Dave was back in the band for about three minutes. They recorded a couple of new songs of the compilation, and then the reunited Van Halen appeared at the MTV Music Awards in 1996, igniting rumors that Diamond Dave was back. What Dave didn't know was that Ed had been auditioning new singers for the band all along, and since he didn't need Dave's PA system anymore, Dave wasn't in the running. That pissed Dave off all over again. Dave wrote in a letter to his fans after he discovered that he was not, in fact, back, saying, quote, I can't think of a reason that Edward would lie to me about being considered for the lead singer when he had already hired someone, and then let me appear on MTV under the impression that there was a great likelihood that Van Halen and I were reuniting. As I said, I told him in no uncertain times that I didn't want to do the MTV gig as a band unless we were, in fact, a band. And so I apologize to my fans and my supporters and to MTV. I was an unwilling participant in this deception. It sickens me to think that the reunion as seen on MTV was nothing more than a publicity stunt. If I'm guilty of anything, I'm guilty of denial. I wanted to believe it just as much as anyone else. Those who know me know that trickery was never my style, unquote. And so it was that Sam was out replaced by Dave, then, yeah, Dave was out, replaced by a guy named Gary Sharon from the band Extreme. And Van Halen entered what fans call the Dark Years. Sam went back to a solo gig, played with various bands and releasing a couple of albums that did well, but not spectacularly, much like his original solo years. Nothing to be ashamed of, but nothing to really brag about either. His biggest song was probably Moss Tequila, which was inspired by Sammy's true love, his bar in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, named Cabo Wabo. Sammy even went on tour with Diamond Dave in 2002. 
tour, which featured bassist Michael Anthony from Van Halen, was, uh, well, it was... Uh, it was just different. It was called in the press the Sons Halen Tour, but the two didn't exactly bond on tour. Dave said of the two, quote, He's the kind of guy you go out with to split a bottle with a friend. I'm the kind of guy you go out with if you want to split your friend with a bottle, unquote. And Sammy said to Diamond Dave, quote, I thought that the tour would be really cool, and it wasn't. He, meaning Roth, was so pompous and demanding. He's a strange guy, unquote. Then it was Sam's turn to be reunited, and it feels so bad, with Ed and Alex in 2004 in support of yet another Best Of album set, this time with the three new songs by Sammy in the box CD set, Van Halen, went on tour. Things got heated, words were exchanged. Quoting from Wikipedia, quote, the subsequent tour brought on more problems, however, most notably Eddie Van Halen's alleged relapse into alcoholism. The relationship between Hagar and Van Halen eventually got so strained that they completed the tour using two separate charter jets, one for Hagar and Michael Anthony and one for Eddie and Alex. The tour ended with a somewhat infamous show in Tucson, Arizona. As the show ended, Ed smashed his guitar on stage, sending shrapnel into the audience. Okay, come on. If you're a Van Halen fan and you say lost your eye because a chunk of Eddie Van Halen's guitar was impaled in it, that's still like the best thing that ever happened to you. This caused tension backstage after the show, eliminating the possibility of a new album being recorded. Hagar said in an interview and later confirmed in greater detail in his 2011 autobiography that Eddie had changed and was not the same person anymore, unquote. That was it for Sammy and Ed. They didn't speak again for over a decade, but they did reconcile in 2016. After Ed's death in 2019, his son Wolfgang told Howard Stern that Ed had been contemplating a kitchen sink tour with Dave and Sam and the extreme guy, but it never got off the ground because of Eddie's illness. Diamond Dave said of Eddie on his passing, quote, my guitar player passed away, Eddie Van Halen. He's either in heaven, raised in hell, or he's in hell, consequently in heaven. Read into that as you wish, unquote. And Sammy, as quoted in Variety, said, quote, I've been reaching out to you, Hagar recalls. And Ed said, then you fucking call me. You fucking call my brother, call me. And I said, I love you, man. It was like, boom, we were as good as it was, Hagar says. And a beautiful thing, unquote. And sometime later, he spoke again in a YouTube interview saying, quote, more than anything, because of the untimely and tragic death of Eddie Van Halen, I apologize from the bottom of my heart for exposing his dark side to where I don't think anyone wants to hear that now, unquote. Which, if you're looking at the two statements between Sam and Dave, you're going to kind of come to the conclusion that Sam was the better person. I mean, Dave basically said that Ed was in hell. These days, Sammy sells tequila. I've had it. I like it. He settled nicely into the aging rock star entrepreneur. He sold his interest in the Cabo Walla tequila to Grupo Campari for $80 million, which will buy you a lot of limes and salt. He has a rum brand, various clubs and restaurants and bars across the country, and the Cabo Wabo Club has become a franchise. There's spots in Mexico, Hollywood, and Las Vegas. He even has a TV show, The Rock and Roll Road Trip with Sammy Hagar. Sammy's run with Van Halen ended better for him than Dave's did, but that's because Sammy was older than Dave and had his own music career and was better able to survive working with Eddie Van Halen. Which, I guess, brings me to the part where I speak ill of the dead, which I actually have no problem doing because I'm speaking the truth. Eddie Van Halen, 
was a brilliant fucking musician. He shaped rock and roll and inspired millions of musicians to make incredible music, billions of fans around the world. He is in the pantheon of rock gods alongside any other incredible rock and roll musician you want to name. But all of that being said, it's abundantly clear that to work with Eddie Van Halen was pretty much the worst job in rock and roll because Ed was a fucking raging asshole. I'm not saying Sammy was perfect, but he does have a reputation for being a professional and kind of easy to know. And I'm definitely not saying Dave was perfect because Dave, God love him, but Dave is his own special kind of asshole. But being the lead singer of Van Halen, the band, had to be a terrible experience. And one, as bad as you knew it was going to be, as bad as Gary Sharon was sitting there saying, my God, I've got this band extreme and things are going okay for us. We're not doing great. But then Eddie Van Halen called. Now he wants me to be the lead singer of the band. And I know it's going to be a bad idea. You would be a fucking idiot not to take. I guess what I'm really saying is that being the lead singer of Van Halen was both the best and worst job in rock and roll. And Wolfgang, if you hear this, give me a call because I'm willing to be your lead singer. That is it for our show this week and this little two-parter that I didn't know I was going to do, but I got to thank my man Larry Rogers for putting on this way, way, way behind the music path. His Facebook suggestion gave us two whole weeks of shows, and that's the kind of thing that actually should make you a producer for the show. Gavin, you're fired. Speaking of behind the music, can you imagine working for some kind of prima donna egomaniac drunk all the time who was demeaning and abusive to his co-workers god that must be fucking hell how can you work when you hear nothing but some egomaniac shitting on you all the time whoa buddy you all right back there in the booth gavin wow i've never seen anyone turn that shade of purple before interesting Anyway, you guys should rate and review this show so other people can find us and scream in inarticulate rage, kind of like Gavin just did. If you think we deserve a buck to keep Gavin's in blood pressure medications, kick us a dollar at patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. Now, do all the things Jeremy tells you to do in the closing, otherwise he will fire me and replace me with the lead singer from Extreme. And so for me, Dave, I'm going way down south where the big blue agave grow, taking a weekend trip down to Baja, Mexico, Bledsoe. Producer, she did a mean macarena to the funky cold Medina behind a body shot. Three margaritas. God, I hate tequila. Gavin and all the fictional warbaritas on this show, we want to say... You can drink the water, but don't eat the ice. Take your vitamin T with a salt and lemon slice. And we'll see you all next week. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings podcast network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. 
Let me know if you see a radio shack. <laughs> Seltzer Kings Podcasts.